0: Is also going to be fantastic. I'm so excited uh, to speak to you today, and I'm going to be preaching out of a book called philippians okay philippians is a book in the new testament it is written by a guy named paul who wrote most of the new testament who really helped to establish the the start of the local church the church that grew into what it is now today pushing forward the message of jesus and philippians is this tiny little book it's an interesting little book it's only four chapters long so if you're like "Ah, i don't know about reading scripture i don't know just go to philippians start there you can get it done in a week you'll be completely fine And you'll feel very accomplished when you get back here next Sunday. Sometimes we need to just set realistic goals for ourselves, right? So Philippians is where we're in today. And I'm just going to do a quick run through, a quick summary of Philippians because we're going to be reading right at the end of Philippians. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Philippians 4 verse 8. That's where we are going to be. But listen, chapter one, I think it's important to actually have a little context here. In chapter one, we find out that Paul is in prison. He is writing this from prison. He talks about suffering, but he talks about it as not being really a surprise that he's suffering for the cause of Christ. He's not surprised by it. In chapter two, Paul talks about the need for unity as a church. He he talks about Jesus and his humanity and laying down his life for the church. In chapter three, he encourages the church to keep on pressing forward. You see, The churches in this time that he established were not just, uh, were not without trouble. They were not without difficulty. They had to be encouraged to continue to press forward. If you are in this place and you feel like I am not without trouble and I am not without difficulty, you are in good company here. We need to be encouraged, and he does this. And in chapter four, he talks about his joy being in Christ and that we need to rejoice in Jesus. We need to rejoice in Jesus. And Philippians 4. Chap- or chapter, chapter 4 verse 8 says this, finally brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. In verse 9, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray in this place. Jesus, I thank you that we get to be here, that we get to worship you, that you are doing incredible things in this church and in the people of this church. And Lord, I just pray you would speak through me today. In your name, amen. 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 If you're taking notes, you can write down this title, what do you think? What do you think? You can write it all as one word if you want to, or you can space it out properly. What do you think? You know, recently uh, over this summer, Brandon and I found ourselves traveling actually quite a bit, a little bit more than we anticipated that we would be. So we found ourselves in an airport several times. Have you been in an airport? You know, anyone? I talked to someone last week and she, she is in her 50s and she has never flown in an airplane pretty crazy, pretty wild, but that that's not usually the common uh, ground. It's Usually we have been in an airport to some extent, and I find airports absolutely fascinating. If you like to people watch, if you are one of those people, like myself, if you identify as a people watcher, get yourself to an airport. You see a variety of people when it comes to an airport. There are all different nations represented. There are all different uh, stages of life. There are all different statuses. There are all different destinations represented. There is a lot going on when it comes to an airport. And I was thinking about this, and I I think we can kind of nail it down to several uh, different types of people that you are going to come across if you find yourself in an airport, when you are flying. If you just sit and watch people, you will see one of these uh, varieties in your people-watching experience. Okay, And the first one is that this is the, the frequent flyer. Okay, You can identify the frequent flyer because they are dressed in a sports coat, business casual, maybe have some jewelry on, look put together. Uh, they have their compact, nicely put together carry-on bag with their matching briefcase or purse. Um, they often don't come out of the cracks until you are about to board the plane in the business class because they are finding themselves in the lounge. Okay, They are in this separate part of the airport called the lounge that has frequent free food, Wi-Fi, comfortable seats. It's a a good experience. I found myself in a lounge once. There are many of the frequent flyers in the lounge, okay? They travel for business. They travel frequently. They're on the plane. They know what they're doing. They are put together. They've got it all together. There is no panic. There is no rush. They know what they're doing, all right? They get themselves onto the plane. This is the frequent flyer. Then we have the vacationer, the vacationer. Maybe this is one that you can relate to as the vacationer. This person is easily identified because they are head to toe in sweats, okay? Possibly pajama pants, flip-flops, sneakers, very comfortable clothes, large sunglasses on their head, hair up, uh, Just a lot of baggage, okay? They've got a lot of luggage with them. You wonder what they are doing and where they're going uh, that they would need that much luggage and usually it's a one week vacation somewhere. It doesn't matter if they are only flying two hours. They've got the pillow wrapped around their neck. They are in vacation mode, okay? And there are kind of two different types of vacationers. We're getting a subset here. If you're taking notes, you can have points underneath. Of this particular one. You have the people that are very early. They are there at the gate when there are still other flights taking off from that gate. Theirs isn't even on the board yet. They're there very they're perusing the souvenir shop, the book shop. They are relaxed. They are in vacation mode. And then you have the vacationers who are very late. Okay, very, very late. They are coming in at the last moment. They completely underestimated how long it takes them to get to the airport and how long it takes them to get through security. They're getting the last calls over the speaker. They are running in. They are sitting beside you, very likely. And And they are a little bit overwhelmed in their vacation mode. Then you have the frantic flyer. All right, the frantic flyer, close to the vacationer, but a little bit different. This is just next level. These people have the slightly oversized carry-ons that actually don't fit properly in the overhead, but they just keep shoving it in until it fits. They want to use the bathroom several times during the flight. They are uncomfortable. They are be a little bit nervous. Uh, they are just coming in at the last moment. They are the ones that are standing at the gate when their section hasn't been called, okay? They're set, like the, the, the person is saying, okay, section A, would you please come up, rows one to five, and they are in row 27, and they are there, ticket in hand. They are ready to get on the plane. They wanna be there first. They're getting drink orders that they have never, they're getting ginger ale. They never drink ginger ale, but they are drinking ginger ale on that flight. This is the frantic person. They just got a lot going on. You know these, people. you don't wanna sit beside these people. You see these people from a mile away. You do not want them to come and sit next to you, the frantic flyer. And then finally, you have uh, what I would call the, the Brandon and Emma Richardson flyers, okay? This is a unique breed of flyer. Uh, this, this flyer uh, kind of combines all three of these, okay? I, I think we, we, we aspire to be uh, closer to the frequent flyer. If you see Luke walking through the airport, he looks like the frequent flyer, okay? Okay. We do not quite get to that level. We kind of combine all of these. Uh, we found a bit of a hack at the airport, if you're, again, taking notes, uh, where, where we, we just keep having small children and we bring them with us under the age of two. They fly for free and you get all of the fast passes and all of the lines, okay? You get ahead in security, you get ahead with it. You can bring extra bags onto the plane. It's pretty incredible, but it's a bit of a catch-22 because then we are the people Brandon always will have a coffee in hand, I will always have a smoothie in hand as we walk on, as well as a small child in my arms. And we have bags uh, hitting people, those business class people, we are hitting them as we walk by and it's a little bit chaotic, it's a little bit crazy. You know, as I was preparing for this message as I was thinking about this idea of what are you thinking about, sometimes I feel like our minds can actually be a little bit like an airport, okay? They're a little bit chaotic, there's a lot going on. Sometimes we have things all neatly in a row, we know what we're doing, we're an expert in certain areas of life. Sometimes we are just checked out, we are actually a bit avoidant, we are on vacation so to speak, and a lot of the time we're a little bit frantic. We're a little bit overwhelmed, we're a little bit negative, we're a little bit uh, kind of daunted by the things going on. And sometimes we can get into these habits that start to identify who we are in our own mind and in our own thinking. And our minds can become a little bit chaotic. Our thinking can be a bit overwhelming. Our thinking can be negative. We can start to overthink and it affects the rest of our lives. It affects how we do things. I know for myself sometimes my mind can swirl with a lot of different things. There's a lot going on. I feel like I have a lot of balls in the air. Maybe I'm making assumptions that aren't accurate. Maybe I'm not communicating the way that I should be. Sometimes I focus on things that might be true but might be false. They, they might be a little bit cheap. They might be wrong things that are uncharacteristics, really really things that are actually negative. It's not lovely. It's not pure. It's not noble. It's not true. And sometimes I find that thoughts just jump into my mind, and I'm, I'm wondering how in the world they got there. How did that thought just pop into my mind? What is it doing there? It feels like a bit of an intruder in my mental space. Do you ever find this with thoughts that, that sometimes they can just jump in, and you wonder where are they coming from? Do you find this? Yeah. And... and, and Sometimes we have thoughts that are just circling over and over and over in our mind and they can feel a little bit overwhelming. And listen, if you think that you are alone in that, you're not. So let's just get that straight right from the start. Maybe you found yourself in a situation where something is said or not said and you find that swirling around in your mind over and over. Why didn't they say that? Why? Why did they say that? Why did they say that thing that offended me? Maybe you get home from work and you spend the next eight hours focusing on the past eight hours and what happened and what went on and what you could have done differently and what you need to do and what's going. On. And all of these thoughts are in your head. Maybe you drive home from a meeting with someone and you go over your head of what you should have said, what you wish you would have said, what you wish you could have said. Maybe you're known as the quieter person. You didn't want to speak up and you didn't want to interrupt. Or maybe on the flip side, you're going, man, why did I say that? Why did I talk so much? Why, would, why was I so competitive in that situation? This is me every time I leave a baby shower, okay? Uh, what the heck is going on there? Why did I do that? Maybe for some of us, we look in the mirror and we go, I don't really like this and you're thinking about yourself in a negative sense and you're thinking about all the things that are wrong with you or what other people are thinking about you. Maybe you post something on social media and you're just wondering what the response is going to be, what people are going to think about you if you've actually uh, done something good or something bad. You know, we have between 12,000 and 80,000 thoughts in one day. That's a lot of thinking. Some obviously more than others. Uh, It's a bit of a wide scale between 12 and 80,000, but that is a lot of thoughts coming into our head in one day. And a lot of them are actually quite negative. A lot of the thinking that we do is negative. And in order to kind of counteract this, what we've done as a society to cope is we've decided to distract ourselves. If our thinking is overwhelming us, if our thinking is negative, if our thinking is just kind of coming at us in a sense that we can't feel that we can control, we distract ourselves. We go and turn on Netflix. We pick up our phone. We go and get busy with work. We just distract, distract, distract in order to stop thinking, 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 and we feel like this might work. But I want to tell you, church, this is a band-aid. It's not a solution. We actually have to do the hard work of training our thinking if we are actually going to be able to live an effective life life. You see, the Bible actually calls us to focus on what is true, what is noble, what is right, pure, lovely, admirable. Paul writes anything excellent and praiseworthy. Anything you can find, any little thing you can find, that's what you need to focus on. Anything excellent, anything praiseworthy. But the ironic part about this is that Paul is writing this while he's in chains. He is in prison writing this. I don't know if I would have the ability or capacity to write this, this encouragement of this is what you need to focus on, this is what I'm focusing on, if I found myself in prison for the sake of the gospel. He's encouraging these believers. I believe that Paul actually has a real sense of what it means to suffer for the gospel. He didn't have this woe is me attitude. He didn't have this feeling of failure. Oh, I just, I just didn't do well enough. I just didn't get it together. And here I am in this situation. And now this is terrible. And all of this is bad. And these thoughts in his head. He actually had right thinking, and he was able to, out of that, encourage the believers in Philippi to do the same. And I think this should actually convict some of us when we look to Paul's example. I think for some of us, the thoughts that go around in our head, oh, I have to get up early. I'm a muscle team. I have to get up early. I have to be here 45 minutes early for team rally if I get involved in some way. Oh, I have to stay up late. I have to... Uh, host people well. I have to. I have to do all these things, and you know, it's a bit of a grind. And life is busy. Oh, I don't know if I can commit to a team at Slate Church just because you know there's so much that they're asking of me, and we can start to get this idea that oh, I'm suffering. I am suffering so much. When really we're just uncomfortable a little bit. Maybe we're just getting stretched a bit. Maybe we're actually stepping into something that's a bit challenging for us, a little bit difficult for us. Maybe something that isn't the easiest road possible. It's always going to be easier to sleep in, but that doesn't mean it's going to be the most beneficial. It's always going to be easier just to not talk to that new person, but it doesn't mean it's going to be beneficial. Listen, I think that we actually need to start getting a grasp of what actual suffering looks like because let me tell you church it's not this it's not this I'm not trying to minimize your pain or discomfort in this place I'm trying to encourage you that we can actually look to examples around us and say okay God you have put me in a different position I am not in chains I am not in prison I am free so God what can you do with me what can you do with what you've given me Paul writes, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Paul, you make it look so easy. So if he did this, and he encourages us to do this, why do we fail at this so badly in our current society? And I think a lot of it actually comes back to our mind. It actually comes back to our thinking. Some of us actually seem to believe this lie that we have zero control over our thought life. That thoughts just come in and we just act on that and we just do this and we are kind of just going with the wind. We are just kind of blowing whatever way it takes us. We are reactive today in our society. We just hear things, and we believe them, we think about them, we just ruminate on them, we think and think and think them over, and then we act out of it, or we don't act out of it, and then the next thing comes up, and it triggers this in us, and we think about that, and we make decisions out of flippant choices, because they're just coming in, and there's more and more things to think about, and more and more things to come in at all times. If you think you're hungry, you're headed to the fridge to go get something. If you think, I can't do this, we're likely to give up. This is a reactive way of living. But we actually have more control over our thoughts than sometimes we give ourselves credit for. Maybe sometimes we like to become aware of because when we're aware of something, we actually have to do something with it. I wanna explain this a little bit. We can't control, I wanna let you know this, you can't control what pops into your mind. Okay? Some of us believe that we can control that. You can't control what pops into your mind. A lot of us are really hard on ourselves for what pops into our mind. We can take a thought that just happened to pop in and really pull it apart and freak out about it, not know where it came from, be really upset by it. We keep all of this shame on ourselves for it, all of this guilt on ourselves for it, all of these things onto ourselves when a thought pops into our mind. Maybe you've had the thought before that maybe I should just end everything. Maybe you've had the thought before that maybe I should really hurt that person. Maybe you've had some of these thoughts that are a little bit scary and a little bit uncertain and and just feeling uh, overwhelming when you have that thought. But listen, we can't control the thoughts that come in. It is just a thought. It's just a thought. You don't have to be ashamed of that. It is just a thought. It's what you do with that thought that makes all the difference. That's what actually matters. There's a difference between having a thought and thinking about something, okay? It's one thing to have a thought pop in your head and another thing to actually jump on the train and ride that train of thought to another destination, to actually dwell on it. It's another thing to visualize it. It's another thing to fantasize about it. It's another thing to ruminate on it. It's another thing to overthink it, to have it come in over and over again, to keep that thought moving. It's a completely different thing than having the thought, and we actually have control over the process of thinking. You know, I, I've talked to a lot of people dealing with different struggles, but I remember saying to Brandon once, and he's been quite open, that he previously had dealt with anxiety and, and, and that sort of thing. I, I said to him once, it's one thing to have anxiety knock on your door. It's another thing to invite it in and sit it down and serve at dinner and have a conversation with it. It's a completely different thing. We have to control our thought life. You know, research actually shows that we repeat our thoughts over and over and over again. Typically, day-to-day, many of our thoughts are repeated. And 80% of them are negative. 80% on average of our thoughts are negative. There's a reason why Paul tells the believers to think on things that are excellent and praiseworthy. It's because it affects our entire lives. It affects things greater than ourselves. If, if you don't get a control over your thought life, it's going to affect all areas of your life. Your work life, your family, the way you view yourself, your faith. It's going to affect everything. You know, we all probably know some positive people in our lives. We can point to positive people. These are people that see the glass half full. They see the silver lining. They are always having the positive thing to say, the right thing to say, a good thing to say. And sometimes if you're a negative person, these people drive you crazy, okay? You just want to complain. You just want to be upset. You just want to uh, get negative about something. But you know, negativity actually usually covers up our insecurity. If we can think negatively about situations and people around us, then maybe we can keep at bay the negative thoughts that we have around ourselves. We like to do this as a Canadian society, okay? We like to push other people down so that we feel a little bit better about ourselves and the things that are coming into mind, oh, they're not that great. They're not that capable. They're not that fit. They're not that helpful. They're not that great of a family person. They're not... We just want to push them down so we can feel better about ourselves. In church, we're limiting ourselves when our thought life looks like this. Subconsciously, we just live in this society that's saying, hey, if you're, if you're rocketing up, there must be something wrong with you. Let's just push you back down. If you're doing well, if you're positive, let's just push you back down to the average. But when we begin to actually think positively, when we begin to dwell on positive things, it actually affects everything. You know, I, I studied in my undergrad uh, psychology um, and theology, and then I went on to do a master's in spiritual care and psychotherapy, and um, this might be news to some of you, I have a private practice, I, I see clients often, and uh, alongside pastoring, and it's it's fantastic, it's great, I love doing it, but what I have realized over and over and over again is the more I study, the more I research, the more I see all of these things, the more I realize that the Bible... Told us all of this 2,000 years ago. Okay, the Bible has told us many of the things that is breaking news in the world of psychology, in the study and in the research. And I love that. I love that we can see that uh, link between science and between theology. It's fantastic. But one of the newer ideas in psychology is this idea of positive psychology. You know, traditionally it's this idea of taking you from a place of negative 10 to a place of zero. Let's just get everyone to a baseline. Now the idea is take you from a place of zero and get you to positive. 10 that's a bit nicer right let's actually flourish and it's incredible when you actually read scripture and when you start to live out and think about the things that we are called to think about how God has his spirit inside of you and the fruit starts to come out of that and in one foul swoop he can take you to a place of positive 10 positive 50 positive 100 it's pretty incredible what actually releasing that to God does When we have the Holy Spirit in us, the truth in us, he can work in ways that psychology can't. He brings optimism. He brings gratitude. But we actually have the ability to still cultivate this in our lives. We have the ability and really the need to think about such things, to meditate on these things. It's not just an automatic that we are going to be positive when we give our lives to God. It's just not going to be an automatic that our thought life is going to be under control when we give ourselves to God. We need to actually put our best foot forward in this as well. And one of the major ways that we can live a life that is glorifying God, that is actually stepping forward in all that he has for us, is controlling our thought life. You know, the more we focus on things that are true and optimistic, research shows that the more likely we are to meet the goals that you've set for yourself, to have high levels of well-being during times of stress, to be a good coper, to have better moods, to avoid overthinking, it keeps you focused on the big picture. These are just some of the things. It keeps your heart pressure down, your blood pressure down, it keeps you calm under stress, it has long-term health benefits. You know, there's always two truths. Anytime we talk about optimism, people say, "Ah, oh, I don't want to be optimistic. I want to be realistic. I want to be a realist. I want to." There's always two truths in every situation. Everything you face is going to have something negative in it. Everything you face is also going to have something positive in it, and we get to choose which truth we're going to focus on. We get to choose what. It's not about blind optimism. It's not just about saying the world is a wonderful place and there is nothing bad in it. Scripture tells us that there is evil in this world. Let's not just be blind optimists. That's not the point. But what are we going to focus on, church? What are we going to set our minds on? What are we going to look to? You know, we need to focus on the things of God, not the things that pull us down. Because we can't find ourselves distracted. We have work to do, church. Verse nine, Paul writes this, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. We need to think about things that are good. We need to focus our attention on these things because we actually need to be freed up in order to do the things that God has called us to do. In order to actually act out what God has called us to do. We don't have time to sit around ruminating overthinking about what he thought or what he said or what they might have thought about when they looked at me that way or what this might have been about or this offense that came out let's be unoffendable church let's stop focusing so much on these negative things because God has more for you and he needs you focused on the things that he has for you in order to do the things that he has called you to do. You know, I love taking my kids to the library, I have three little kids, Kenzie, she's three, Theo, he's almost two, and then Claire is four months old, and we go to the library pretty often, mostly because it's a free outing, um, so we get there, and and the library is a great place, they can't escape, you get them in there, there's there's books, uh, Theo plays with little blocks, it's nice, Claire stays in the stroller, and Kenzie pulls off every single book on the shelf, and we're working on that, but she's that kid, uh, We I just follow her around, she places books on my hands and said, this one looks good. This one looks good. This one just with a- absolutely no care in the world. These are the books that I would like to take home with me. And we always carry a healthy fine at the library. We always have that. Some of you are like, I don't go to the library because of this fine. Let me tell you, there is now little machines. You don't have to talk to anybody. You can go to the machine. There's no shame in it. And you can check out the books and keep the fine going. All right. It's good to have a little healthy, fine. it keeps coming back, right? He's someday I'll pay it. It keeps me coming back. But we take home all these books every week at the library, and my goal is not to lose them. My goal is to keep them not from being ripped up. That usually doesn't work. I've got Scotch tape. It works well. But we bring home all of these books uh, week after week. And this past week, Kenzie brought home a Berenstein Bears book. Just a classic. So good. I mean, I still look in all of the thrift stores to see if there's any that say like the Beren- Berenstein with the-, the E instead of the A, and I'm going to break the internet when I find it because I firmly believe. It was with an E, but this one had an A. And this one was the Berenstein Bears learn about strangers. Okay, learn about strangers. So I sat down with Kenzie. We've had this talk before. Usually it's in the store when she's running around that not everybody's nice. Someone could take you away. Uh, and, and then usually Kenzie looks at the person closest to her and goes like, They look fine. They look nice. Are they going to take me away? Loud enough for them to hear, and it's always a little bit awkward. So I knew reading this book, she had an idea of what we were talking about. But in this book... Sister Bear has this, like, grand optimistic idea about life, talks to everybody, and then she is told about strangers, and then everything goes downhill from there. Everything is dark, everyone is mean, she sees it through this light. She doesn't want to go anywhere, she doesn't want to do anything, and, and like all good children's book, it wraps up, everybody's happy, it's good in the end. But afterwards, Kenzie was kind of coiled up on the couch a little bit. I said, honey, what's wrong? She's like, I'm scared. I'm, what are you scared of? I'm scared of strangers. I'm scared of strangers that, that they're going to hurt me or this guy looks mean. She points at the book. And we got to have this conversation uh, about strangers and about, no, it's okay. You know, there's most of the people are so nice. There's just some people who aren't. But mommy's here. We're good. We're going to protect you, all of these things. And it was great. But I got thinking about this as I was writing this message and how so often our thought life actually keeps us from going out and doing the things that God has called us to do. When we start to see the world in a negative lens, when we start to see ourselves and our own identity through a negative lens, it can actually hold us back from what God has called us to do because we start believing lies about ourselves and about the people around us. No one's going to like me. They're not going to want to come to church. They're going to have no interest in Jesus. Why would I ever? talk about this no one's going to find this interesting no one's going to this is kind of embarrassing this is like my secret thing that I hold on to we get so deep into our own heads and this causes inaction or delayed action we just don't want to go out and face the world when we have these wrong misconceptions and I think for some of us we've actually been holding on to these for so long and we don't have anyone in our life that can say hey why are you afraid of that Why are you scared of that? What's going on there? Let me explain that. Let's open this up. Let's not get you to have these deep-rooted core beliefs about how you live and how you function as an individual that actually are completely based out of lies and aren't true at all. We need to make sure we are doing the work in our thought life so that we can actually outwork what God is calling us to do in our everyday life. We don't have space to be worried about this person or that person. We can circle that same tree over and over and over again believing that it's going to give us greater insight believing that if we just think about this we're going to figure out why it happened or what went on or what's going on there when research shows over and over and over again that doing that doesn't get you anywhere it just gets you stuck in a train of negative thinking it doesn't actually bring you any insight it just gets you stuck where you are we need to shake loose of this and the best antidote to it is living the way God has called us to live We need to train ourselves to actually focus on the things that are true, to focus on the things that are noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, so that we are not in a spiral of anxiety, guilt, shame, insecurity, and pain. So what do we do with all of this negativity that comes at us day after day, that comes into our mind, that pops up? 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Church, we give it to God. I wonder if you've prayed about it as much as you've talked about it, as much as you've thought about it, as much as you've talked to 10 different people about it. Have you ever, ever even brought it to God? He cares about these small things. We not need to start actually releasing our thought life to God, the one who gives us peace. You see, the verses just before the ones that we stopped and focused on today in Philippians talks about this. This is one you've probably heard before. Maybe you have circled in your Bible. Maybe you have hung up somewhere. It says this, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, what a promise this is. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We are promised God's peace. You don't have to carry that baggage anymore. You don't have to have this negative thinking in your life. You don't have to do this alone. You don't have to worry about the things from your past, the harm you caused other people or things that happened to you. You don't have to freak out about your financial financial situation or carry the burden of everyone around you. God can handle your mess. He can handle your thought life. He can handle the things that you have spent way too much time thinking about, way too much time worrying about, way too much time on. He can handle your sin and he gets rid of it all. And he replaces it with a peace that transcends all understanding. It's an incredible thing that we have available to us. So we have to give our thoughts to God. We need to be diligent in training ourselves to focus on what is good. And we are going to find joy in that. We're also going to find the freedom to act. Can you just imagine, church, if we started to act out what Scripture has called us to do in greater and greater ways? We are already doing that in so many ways. We've been on the campus all week with university impact loving students that have come into this city. We care about people around us. We see community forming. We see connect groups coming alongside one another. It's fantastic to see, but we can keep doing it. We can do more. We can push ourselves. And I believe that when we get our thought lives under control, when we start focusing on what God has called us to focus on, he is actually just going to open the door for more opportunities for us to step through because we're not going to be distracted. We're not going to be on the sidelines. We are going to be right there focusing on the good in people, focusing on the possibility in people, focusing on the potential in people, focusing on the silver lining in every situation. And people desperately need that. I really believe at church, we are making room for more at Inn of Waterloo. There won't be room for, a ve- for us in any venue in KW if we really get a grip on this. Because it is so different from the world around us. If we can get a grip on our thought life, release it to God, walk in peace and start to love people the way that we are actually called to love people. It's absolutely incredible. Why don't we stand up in this place? You know, maybe you're in this place and... Uh, Thank you for watching. And again, if you were impacted by this message, we would love to hear from you. Send us an email to Slatechurch.com. If you'd like to learn more, fill out one of our online connect cards on our website. We would love to see you in person at one of our Sunday services. And remember, follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.